Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of East West Draftcast, uh, and we're going to mark the occasion by having back the other host, Jeff. What's up? Where have you been, my friend? I've been working and stuff. Okay. Well, yeah, so I just got back yesterday from Grand Prix Vancouver, and we're going to spend most of the podcast talking about that, uh, and Jeff... Hasn't been playing a ton of Magic because he's been a busy little worker bee, and I haven't been podcasting without him, mostly due to the fact that I've been traveling for basically the past two weeks, uh, kind of culminating in that GP trip up in Vancouver. But uh, before we dive into that, I have a quick Just the Tip, and this is Grand Prix related. Perhaps play a little game called Just the Tip, just for a second, just to see how it feels. I think that it's great fun. Basically, my tip for the day is pants are not required for podcasting. Just a tip. Do not bet on the horses. My just the tip is take notes. Do you take notes when you play, Jeff? No, never. Well, that's... Never? So, yeah, it's pretty much true. Yeah, no, I, I'd say I, do, I take notes in that I mark my life total and my opponents. Okay. Now, if you don't know what I mean when I say take notes, it means if you are in game one and your opponent plays a Deathwind on one of your creatures, it's often a good idea to take that pen that you should have with your piece of paper for keeping track of life. Don't use dice, people. That's a whole different just the tip. And you can write down on your piece of paper Deathwind so that either when you go to sideboard or just in game two, when you you look down to look at the life total, you remember, oh, hey, my guy or my opponent has Deathwind and he or she might be able to cast that at some point, and I need to be aware of that. And there are other ways you can you can take notes as well. Like if you ever cast a Duress or a Thoughtseize or what's the one from Avacyn Restored, uh, Appetite for Brains, you can... Anything that says Reveal, if it says Reveal, Target Opponent Reveals Their Hand, you can have them keep those cards revealed while you write down every card that's in their hand. So if you Appetite for Brains somebody on turn one, and you see five or six cards, you're allowed to write down what all those cards are. Mm-hmm. That way you don't actually have to, you don't necessarily have to remember exactly what cards are in their hand and what relative to what they've played later on in the game because you have a list written down there where like, oh, he had this swamp and an island and these three cards. And like this is where, and if you want to go real next level here, it's kind of important occasionally to play all of the same art on your cards. Or if you're going to have one foil version of a card, try to have all foil versions of the card. This is more ap- applicable to constructed decks than to limited. But if your opponent duresses you and you show them an island and five other cards uh, not, not that are not islands, and that island has a certain art on it, and then you take your turn, you draw for the turn, it's another island with different art, and you play that island, then your opponent still knows that you have that original island in your hand, right? If they're paying very close attention, yes. Sure, but I mean, these are the type, these are the small incremental ways that you can gain advantages. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it all, ultimately I'm, I'm digressing here, but my advice is to take notes while you are playing, and often that means just kind of keeping track of powerful cards that your opponent has that you might want to sideboard for later or just be mindful of later. Um, counter spells or like Geist Snatch are particularly interesting in this. Like if you know your opponent has a Geist Snatch or something like that and they leave up two blue and two other lands, you're like, okay, do I need to play around this? And then you can evaluate that as appropriate. But yeah, anyway, uh, that's my just tip. You want to talk about the Grand Prix? Sure. How was the Grand Prix, Greg? It was pretty sweet. I mean, first let's talk about, uh, I guess, Vancouver in general. Very cool city. I had never been there before. Uh, We stayed right downtown, uh, a number of blocks walking away from the convention center there, which is, like, right on the water. Yeah, the area we stayed in was, like, a a bustling little downtown with a bunch of cool bars and restaurants. And, yeah, I don't know. It, It was pretty cool. I did not get to explore a whole lot of the city, like, during the day because for the most part I was playing Magic in the Convention Center. Um, so I'd like to go back someday and maybe 
just visit without uh, the need to sit on my ass uh, at folding tables for however many hours out of the day. Right. But yeah, it was a good time. Went there with uh, my brother, Russell, who's been on the show before, uh, Ryan Hogan, who has also been on the show a number of times, uh, our friend John, who we've mentioned on the show a couple times but has never joined us, and uh, our friend Nate. I don't know if you know Nate that well, Jeff, do you? I know some Nates, but probably not the one you're talking about now. Okay, but yeah, and so we all got a hotel room, and uh, shenanigans ensued with, I don't know, bodily functions and uh, oh, whatever you want to call it. like. Yeah, you know Russell. That that dude is like a walking fart machine. <laughs> oh, I my head was going somewhere else. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bodily functions encompasses other things. It sure does, but I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I should, I should, I should have. I don't know if I should have been more specific, but maybe <laughs> yeah. I could have been more clear. What I meant, but yeah, a good time was had by all, I think. Um, and some a lot of magic got played. Day one was pretty crazy ryan and i both opened up pretty silly pools he had the luxury of getting three buys because he won a gpt not too long ago i think we talked about the gpt a little bit on the lost episode yeah i think he uh i think i think we did but uh it was lost so nobody has heard it yeah i i I barely remember it it was like a month ago yeah but um yeah, by the way, we lost an episode, which is another reason why you haven't heard any East-West Trapcast for a while. Do we want a quick aside and talk about like kind of what's been keeping us from podcasting? I mean, I feel like we owe the listeners a little bit of an explanation here. Sure, sure, we can. So what's been up with you, Jeff? Well, I mean, you've been working a lot, but yeah, I mean, uh, you were working before when we were podcasting. That's true, but I am taking classes now, uh, trying to get a second degree, because I want a better job um <laughs> so and i'm taking those classes online which means i work at home uh when i get home and i don't have time to podcast or more importantly i don't really have time to play magic um i haven't actually played magic in a very long time and it's a little saddening but uh it makes me really sad i'm sorry i i mean i've been getting stuff done though so that's good um also my girlfriend just returned from a four-month hiatus essentially um so i've been spending a lot of time with her now hiatus i mean might have a negative connotation she was just traveling out of town she was she she was in africa just uh you know saving the world one (laughs) one house sparrow at a time um she does good work out there yes yeah i mean that's mostly what i've been doing just working and spending time with the girlfriend uh so unfortunately like there was maybe a few times in there that i possibly could have podcasted but uh i really wouldn't have had much to say since i hadn't been playing magic couple that with the fact that i've actually been pretty busy lately too and what what are you you been busy with greg well i don't know we talked about this last year around the same time like when summer hits like magic just becomes a little less of a priority for us summertime people yeah it's like you you want to get outside you want to travel like i have a number of friends who are teachers and when june hits teachers get three months off and they just want to like go out and do a bunch of fun stuff and it's hard to say no when when one of your buddies says hey i'm gonna drive out to denver to visit my family do you want to hop in the car and we'll go to vegas for a weekend on the way there and it's like okay i'm in then i'm on the road like without access to a microphone i mean i guess i could have taken a a shitty microphone with me and whatnot and tried to like Skype you from Denver or Las Vegas. But honestly, if I'm traveling out to a place like that, like I don't necessarily want to be sitting on the computer talking to you, Jeff. Understandable. Um, So yeah, I mean, even if Jeff may have been available to podcasts, there were often times where I was not. So um, anyway, that's kind of the the short end of that. We also recorded a podcast that uh, got destroyed in the shuffle of, the computer being miserable. Yeah, the dog ate our homework on that one. Anyway, back to the Grand Prix. Uh, day one opened up a like you know how you go to these big GPs or, or just big sealed events in general, uh, and you open up your pool 
and then you register it, and then you pass that pool to someone else. Yes. I'm, I'm the type of person that when I'm registering a pool, I am very careful not to just talk about it a lot. And I think this is, I mean, I don't think it's important, but I think it's a good skill to have. Like, you know the kind of people I'm talking about, right, Jeff? You're like, oh, my God, this pool's so good. Yes. I wish I could keep this one. Very oh, this one has triple triple mist raven. It's like, it's like you knew what you were getting into when you showed up at the tournament. Like, why are you complaining or, like sweating it now like it doesn't make it doesn't help you at all right if anything it just gives people other people information about like what kind of decks are out there like who's ended up with the triple mist raven deck it it also i don't know it's as silly as it sounds it's very amateur like when people are that way it just i don't know I, i mean maybe you can fake people out by making it seem like you're very amateur but really you're very solid at the game, but it, it just seems like, uh, you know, these people, like, they obviously don't, I don't know, it's not that they don't know what they're doing, but they're not very uh, serious about it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're more, and, and that's a, there are certain types of Magic players that are kind of more into, like, the whole aspect of opening packs and just being stoked about cards, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, people who are focused on winning a tournament. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like they'd be like, oh look at this, it has this card and this card and this card, or like, oh man, this pool sucks, and it's like, well, that's not really important. What's important is that when you get past the pool that you're gonna have, that you build it as correctly as possible, right? Yeah, and also don't open your mouth about your own pool as well. For sure, and that's kind of what I was getting at. Is like, I opened a pretty bad pool, which and, and usually or I shouldn't say usually the past three GPs I've been to for sealed when you pass or when you sit down to register, they just do you alphabetically. So I'm sitting in the, in the middle of like this smorgasbord of Smiths, like, <laughs> including my brother, who's two seats away from me. Um, oh, he no. ended up with, the, he ended up with the pool. I opened. Uh, yeah. They make you pass just a couple and then. Seven yeah. Seven. So we, we only, I think we passed twice or something. And, yeah. and usually they make you go like cross table at some point that never happened. Um, yeah. But Anyway, that's besides the point. I, so I passed him a pretty terrible pool. Um, he he built like close to what I would have built with it. Um, he left a demonic rising in the sideboard, and and we kind of harped on him all weekend for it. But which one is that? I it, don't even know that card. It's a, it's a rare black enchantment. It's three colorless and two black. And at the end of your turn, if you only have one creature, you get a five five flying demon. Oh, that card's insane. It's pretty good. And the fact of the matter was, I mean, and Russell had like a. a somewhat solid argument for why he wasn't playing it in that he was playing a lot of small creatures uh-huh. and he wasn't necessarily like trying to abuse the loner plan like he wasn't like a blue black deck with a bunch of bounce and like peel from realities and stuff like that sure he was he was like a white black aggro deck for the most part like a lot of two drops a lot of three drops and then some su- support spells uh-huh. but the fact of the matter is is that his pool just wasn't very powerful like in the first place. Right. So he needed to try and like steal some wins with like high variance cards like the Demonic Rising. And he he admitted that he was probably incorrect to like not run it and he was citing it in every game too. But um sure. Yeah, I, I thought I should mention that just to rub it into him one more time. I don't even know if he listens to the podcast. For the rubbins. He does sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, the pool I got past, which uh if you want to look at it, I posted on eastwestdraftcast.com it's a, it's under the title Grand Prix Vancouver deck lists. So I tried tried to spell it out for you, dear listeners. Um, anyway, the pool I opened was pretty good. Uh, you wouldn't know it if you looked at the artifacts at the top, where it's like a bunch of like a bunch of scrolls, two mediocre pieces of equipment, yeah. a vessel of endless rest, and a a Narstad scrapper. When I look at which is that? the top. I just have to assume you must have built the uh, Scroll of Gristlebrand demon <laughs> deck, right? Yeah. Three Scroll of Gristlebrand is not what you want to see. With that said, like I did, I did actually end up playing both the Bracers and the Vessel of Endless Rest, um, and we'll get to that when we get to the deck. But um, yeah, not not a whole lot to look at there. Uh, I I kind of want to take a minute to mention that I saw a lot of people playing Narstad Scrapper this weekend. Uh-huh. Like not, I shouldn't say a lot, but I, more than I would have suspected, because that's a card I almost always cut. That's like the uh, the three three for five. That yeah, it has like a dragon breathing dragon. Yeah, uh, 
dragon engine breathing. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so let's move on to like the white. This is pretty good for a sealed deck. Um, I'm going to just kind of rattle off the playable stuff. I have a Banishing Stroke, uh, Divine a Defy Death, Divine Deflection, Emancipation Angel, Gold Knight Commander, uh, Moreland Inquisitor, Midvast Protector, Three Seraph of Dawn, uh, a, a Terminus, a Voice of the Provinces, and a Zealous Strike. Yeah, that's um, pretty sexy. And that's just like, I left out some bad cards like Leap of Faith and Call to Serve and Builder's Blessing. But uh, Divine Deflection, Emancipation Angel, Gold Knight Commander, Seraph of Dawn, Terminus, like, these are all cards that make me want to play white. Yeah, Divine Deflection is, like, I don't know, maybe one of the best rares, right? Yeah, I actually found it to be kind of clunky throughout the day. Hmm. Um, I, I actually didn't draw it all that often, Um and it might just be because my deck was winning before it became relevant. I think it's a better card when you're behind than when you're winning. Well, Although sure. I did, or I shouldn't say that because I actually won some games with it where like I got my opponent down to really low life, and then it was just like attack me. Or, I dare you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I just three, win. yeah, you attack me and you're at three. Yeah, I think uh, I think I got this one. Fireball. Right. Uh, the blue is not bad either. El God Shieldmate. Galvanic, Alchemist, like, neither of these are great cards, but they're yeah, both playable. Yeah. Uh, Griff Vanguard, Ghostly Flicker, a Latch Seeker, a Scrapskin Drake, a Vanishment, a Wingcrafter. Yeah, it doesn't look that great. Uh, it's not great, but it's it's solid. I, I looked at the blue-white deck yeah. when I was building. My black is also not terrible. I had a Bone Splinters, a Corpse Traders, a Deathwind, a uh, Driver of the Dead, Grave Exchange, two Human Frailty... Uh, Marrow Bats, Soul Cage Fiend, two Undead Executioners. So I looked at the white-black deck, too, although, as is often the case with black, you lay out your mana curve, and you just see that there's, like, nothing happening at the three and two drop spots, you know? Um, But I I did keep in mind that I had some good removal there between Bone Splinters, Double Human Frailty, and the uh, Deathwind. Mm Mm-hmm. As I mentioned before, I had a Vessel of Endless Rest, so I knew that a splash was a possibility Right. as I was looking at this stuff. And I should mention that usually when I'm building pools like this, when I'm building a sealed deck, the first thing I'll look at is artifacts, and just to see like what cards I'm almost always going to play. Um, right. And Vessel of Endless Rest isn't necessarily one of those cards, but if I look at the artifacts first and I see that I have a Vessel of Endless Rest, I know that it's possible that I can support a splash. For sure. So... I knew that kind of going in. Mm-hmm. The red was kind of mediocre. Like, there are some dudes and, like, a Thunderbolt and the Guise of Fire is removal. I had an Archwing Dragon, which is a card I like, but I'm not as fond of it in sealed deck as I am in draft, where you can kind of, like, make it a part of a plan. Right. You know? Usually an, an aggressive plan. But, I mean, I had a Hanware Lancer, Havengul Vampire, Heirs of Stromkirk, Kessig Malcontents, Kroon Striker... Yeah. Scalding Devil. Seems, it seems like red is is not the best sealed color because it's so uh, on a different plan than most other colors, you know? In terms That's a great point. In terms of like these cards, like crew and striker is like extremely good if you're building synergy around it, but just a two one for two if you're not, you know. Or like a three one when attacking a, a lot of the time. But not anything amazing. Um, right. Same with the card like Thatcher's Revolt. Or total, yeah, Thatcher Revolt, big time. Like, you definitely have to build around that. But uh, yeah, so red just seems like probably not going to be in most people's sealed pools just because of that. Yeah, that definitely bore out throughout the day. Like most of the decks I was facing, and spoiler alert, I did very well on on day one. Um, and as you do better and better in a big, big GP like this, you start to face the, the better players and the better decks as you kind of move up the rankings of XO and X1. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not play against many red decks. Uh, white, blue, and black... or uh, White, blue, and green, excuse me, are the three colors that were kind of dominating the top tables. Makes and you sense. can see that in the GP coverage. Speaking of green, I had very good green. It was not especially deep. No, it doesn't look very deep. I think I had like got like, like got we, some two drops, can, which is nice. 
Yeah, but I mean, we can throw out the fact that like I had a Bower passage, a grounded, uh, excuse me, two sheltering words, and a wild defiance. I mean, I also had a natural end, which I do think is a fine card, but more of a sideboard card than something you want to main deck. Right. Other than that, I had what seven <laughs> or like. But they're all two, solid, if not two. ridiculous bombs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or well, yeah. one is a ridiculous bomb. Yeah, so first things first, I had an abundant growth. So the splash became even more of a possibility if I was willing to play green. Mm-hmm. I had a champion of Lamholt, which that card is a Good. blast to play yeah. with. That card is so much fun. Like, cause no, like, people, I think people understand how powerful it is, but it's, the removal in this format is so bad that, like, as soon as it gets that first counter, you lose, like, Two like two or three of the ways that that right, you can deal right. with, you know, like Ghoul Flesh, Guys of Fire, uh, Lightning Prowess, like anything that deals one damage or gives minus one to toughness, like those just aren't going to work anymore. Like <laughs> Guys of Fire, especially, like if if you get a counter on it and like the Guys of Fire, you're like, thank you. Yeah. Now you have even fewer creatures who can block. You right. Know? I mean, not that anyone's going to make that play, but you know what I'm saying. But yeah, Champion of Lambholt. Uh, a Timberland Guide, a Trusted Force Mage, a Wandering Wolf, and what is probably the best non-mythic rare in the set, in my opinion, for sealed play. I bet it might be the best. I think it is. Like for no, my I'm, money, I'm saying the best card, mythic, rare, whatever. Really? Okay. I think that's possible. It's an interesting debate. Um, Wolfier Silverheart. Man, is that card a beating? Yeah, it's. It's too much. It's too much power for five mana. Yeah. It's just too much in a in a format with very little removal. It's absurd. Yeah, I mean, it even like it kind of trumps Deathwind even, which is one of the few cards that can answer basically every creature in the format if you have enough mana. Yeah, but like, yeah. they have to have Wolf five so- up when you cast it, or else they need nine. <laughs> and nine mana is a lot of mana. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, it's, yeah, that card is absurd. Like, I've won so many games with that card, it's just stupid. Um, and that card plus Champion of Lamholt is also really stupid. <laughs> like, <sense. laughs> you're like, that's just, I win next turn, right? Like, almost always. Yeah. Like, Champion of Lamholt is the, and I sh- we should probably talk about this. I'm, the rares are often harder to remember. I know I have a harder time remembering them, but like, the champion has the ability that gives Wandering Wolf ability to your whole team. So, like, whatever the champion's power is, creatures your opponent controls with power less than that cannot block. Even if it's and, not attacking, right? Yeah, the champion doesn't have to attack for that to be the case. It's just, like, a static ability on the card. Yeah, that's like, so fucked up. Yeah, I know. It's really good. If you play a Wolf or Silverheart, like, let's say the champion of Lamholt is the only creature you've cast all game, and the next card you play is Wolf or Silverheart. First, the champion gets a... Or I shouldn't say first, but the champion gets a counter, and it also gets plus four, plus four. So it's immediately, six, six. it's a 6-6, six, six, and therefore any creature your opponent has with power less than six cannot block. And, <laughs> and you have an 8-8 eight, eight as well. Yeah, and you and you also have this 8-8 eight, eight Wolf or Silverheart, by the way. Like, uh, if you... And if you... I think if you look at the undefeated day one decks, mm-hmm. Wolf or Silverheart was in at least two of them, maybe all three. It doesn't surprise me. Card like, is yeah, like that's what I'm saying. I, is there a better rare? I don't. I can't think of one. I mean, maybe a, thinking, maybe Tamio or something, but I don't think so. You think it's better than all? I'm I, I'm trying trying to remember what other mythics are. I think I might rather have Bonfire of the Damned or Entreat the Angels. Yeah, but might and it's it's not for sure. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's because like, green green is the color you want to be playing anyway. Totally and. Bonfire is not underwhelming, but it's not it's not it's not nearly the power level of Silverheart if you don't miracle it. I mean when you do it Well it, I don't know if I agree with that. Bonfire is really, really good. Yeah, but you're only bonfiring for two usually or something like that. You know, if if you're not miracling it. And and like Pyroclasm is, is not that powerful, even if it's one sided. I mean it, I mean it's powerful, but it's not like <laughs> absurd it's not a freaking 12 power five mana creature yeah to be fair i mean in the context of the format you may be you may be correct like wolf your silver heart 
It just can't die is the problem. Yeah, like, it's so hard to get rid of it that, I mean, what do you do? Right. Like, if uh, terror was in the format, it would not be that impressive. Right. Or if they made it a human, and so that human frailty could kill it, like, sure. even though that's an uncommon, like, that would nerf the power level of this card a, a slight amount, I guess. No, it would. It'd still be really stupid, but yeah. Um, yeah, like, as I was building the deck, I laid it out, and I saw... Basically, I, I wanted to play white, and I was trying to figure out what other color to pair with it. I threw red out pretty fast. I threw black out pretty fast, mostly based upon, like, what I was talking about earlier, like, mana curve considerations, and the fact that, like, the creatures I had in black just weren't very good. Like, I had removal there, but I didn't really have any, like, creatures that did anything good. I laid out the blue. The blue-white deck looked pretty good. Like, it looked decent. Um, and it, I didn't need to splash, necessarily, to get enough playables. Uh, but ultimately, I decided to go with green, because just based upon the pure power level of Champion of Lamhole and uh, Wolfier of Silverheart, both of those cards together, and I mean, even each of those on their own are, are just very, very good. And there was a lot of kind of cool synergy around, like, the Champion of Lamhole, the uh, Gold Knight Commander, the Seraph of Dawns. I don't know, pumping up lifelinkers is always great, you know? And, and like, the mana curve was fine. Like, it was a little heavy in the middle at, like, the three and four drop spots, but I did have three two-drop creatures. I did have access to the mana fixing from Abundant Growth and the Vessel of Endless Rest to allow me to splash for black. Right. Um, and so I splashed for the Deathwind and for a single Human Frailty uh, with the other one in the sideboard. And the deck was awesome. Like, it was really good. I played pretty well most of the day, but the real reason I went 8-1 and one was because my deck was just very, very powerful. Uh, so what was the loss to? I lost to like a, a very tempo-oriented blue-red deck mm-hmm. um, with zealous conscripts. Mm. And boy, is that card good. Oh, that might yeah. be... That might be. I don't. I don't think it's as good as Wolfier Silverheart, but that might be my pick for the second best non-mythic rare in the set. That might be true. Yeah, that's steals wins out of nowhere, and he had it in the right color too, in red blue, where you can peel from reality it, where you can blink it with ghostly flicker. Mm-hmm. You can do all sorts of crazy stuff with that card in blue. Right. Uh, and I, I lost to him two one, and the game that I beat him on it was on a mold of five. And he said it was the first game loss he had had all day. Wow. And that was, that was in round eight, I think. Whoa. I was, or round seven. Okay. I was XO most of the day. Um, and his deck was very good. Uh, his name was Matt, or Matthew, I think. Did He, he didn't end up um, undefeated then? No. Uh, I don't think so. The guy who ended up undefeated uh, throughout... Like well, yeah, I know. All 15 is. rounds? Have you heard about this? this, yeah, this I, I looked guy? up the coverage. Oh, man. What a run that guy had. Ryan lost to him on day one. That was Ryan's one loss. Mm. No, And Ryan's deck was also very, very good. Better than mine, I think, even. Because wow. we were playing just kind of side games in between rounds all day, and he was getting me the majority of the time. His, his was like a blue-green deck. I think he might have been splashing or something, but I can't remember. Uh, we'll talk to him about that later. But yeah, so the deck was very good. I ended up playing Bladed Bracers just because I had a lot of humans and the triple Seraph of Dawn, on top of the fact that even my non-humans it was pretty good with. Like, it's good on a Wandering Wolf. It's... and Actually, that's probably the only non-human in the deck that it matters. I mean, it's not especially good on a Wolf or Silverheart, but (laughs) I think all of my other creatures were either humans, angels, or a Wandering Wolf. Yeah. Okay. So... It ended up playing very well. Um, I cited it out a lot, uh, usually for Human Frailty or Natural End. Those were the only two cards I ever cited in during my matches, mm-hmm. just because the deck felt very focused and very streamlined. Um, and you can see the the list I ran uh, on eastwestdraftcast.com if you're interested in looking at it. But basically won a lot of my games on the back of Seraph of Dawn plus uh, Wolfier Silverheart or Wolfier Silverheart plus any other creature, I guess. But even in the games where I wasn't drawing the Silverheart, I had a lot of ways to outplay my opponents with uh, removal, Divine Deflection, Banishing Stroke, and just 
tricky, kind of stupid did wins that came out. Of, strike? I did play the Zealous Strike. Yeah, it's a good uh, one. I like I like that card a lot actually. I, do too. I like most of the pump spells in this format. Mm-hmm. A lot of games were won just off the champion, uh, like champion plus what do you want to call it? The Gold Knight Commander is like I didn't think it was going to be as good as it was because every time you cast a creature, you essentially I mean, your guy gets a counter, and then you pump him, so it's like plus two, plus two every turn. Right, right. So your guys get unblockable real fast. Makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, that was pretty sweet. So I made it to day two at eight and one. I think I finished in, like, 15th place on day one. Something like that. Pretty or no. good. Yeah. So, and this is the first time I've ever day two to GP before, which I was very stoked about. Yeah, I uh, have never done that, but I've only played in one. And it was constructed. <laughs> so that wasn't happening. And you know what happens when you get to day two at a GP with limited, right, Jeff? You get to draft. You get to draft. Isn't that great? It's so great. I've always yeah. been excited to play in a limited GP that I never have done. But for the chance to draft on day two, sounds... Well, hey, you're coming out for GP San Jose, right? I am. That's the plan. Um but uh, that's teams, and it'll be even fucking cooler if I get to day two. So. Yeah. Uh, team draft sounds pretty yeah. amazing. And we will not be on the same team. We will, no, I'm going to have to crush you in that tournament. We I'm will sorry be to say. against each other. I know that sounds ridiculous to the listeners. If I'll, I'll see you in the finals. Fuck, yeah. That's oh, right. Oh, man. Uh, uh, a quick side note. Did you know that uh, if one of your... Members of your team gets uh, buys. You all get the buys. Yes, I did know that. I hear they're only going to give up to two buys, though. Yeah, but that's pretty cool. It is cool because. Right, it's cool because there's no way I'm getting any. I'm crossing my fingers for Spencer. <laughs> so it's you, Spencer, and Jason. Yes, that is right. uh, yeah. for the listeners. Spencer, who has been on the podcast, and Jason is my brother. And I will be playing on a team with my brother Russell and with Ryan. So. Yeah, you, you guys uh, maybe a little bit more of the all stars, but well, that I I hate to say it, that's kind of what I was going for. Like I wanted to play with people I knew, but I also wanted to play with like the best players possible. Um, Except so I, I jumped on Ryan and Russell pretty early because they're both pretty good players. Yeah, well, uh, you know I'm better than all three of you, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had already committed to a team, my I friend. Did, I did. I, I did not. Uh, I did not give you the chance to scoop me up. Anyway, um, so yeah, drafting on day two, uh, you get to do two drafts, which is the only thing better than one draft is two drafts. That's um, true. Well, what about good, three drafts? Uh, yeah, I shouldn't say the only thing that's better, <laughs> but one of the things that's better than one draft is two drafts. The It's a good thing we got to draft twice, too, because my first draft deck was not very good. Um, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, I started off with the first pick. I, I mean, I should I, let me explain like what my plan was going in. My plan was to be very open in the first few picks mm. because I've noticed when I draft this format that the signals are often not very clear and that you won't really know what colors are open until like maybe fifth or sixth pick sure. in a pack. Sure. And I also wanted to make sure not to kind of write off white or black, like considered the two worst colors in the format, right. um, particularly black. Like I know that a lot of people kind of avoid black like the plague, but I've seen black decks that are very good. And I, w- I told myself if black's there, that's what I'm going to draft. Um, and so I opened up a pack. I don't remember exactly what was in it, but it wasn't super impressive. Like it was a bad rare and I took a Blood Artist first. Okay. I mean, you know how much I love that card. It's a very good card. It is. It requires some synergy to get going. But So, yeah, I scooped that up first, and then I kind of waffled in between like red and green cards with my next two or three picks, because there wasn't a whole lot of black coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I ended up with like a Timberland Guide, and I think a Pillar of Flame with my next two picks. Okay. Or no, I, excuse me. I went with my first three picks were uh, Blood Artist and then either Tribal Force Mage Pillar of Flame or those two cards in reverse order. Gotcha. So I was trying to leave myself open. Um, I ended up in red-green, and I had a lot of like quality cards in my deck, and you can see that on the webpage as well. Um, 
like double Kruin striker, double Timberland guide, uh, Hanwir Lancer, Fervent Cathar, the Force Mage, Gloom Widow, um, uh, Hound of Grizzlebrand. I opened up in pack two, so that was kind of sweet. But other than the Hound, I didn't really have any cards that had to be answered, you know, like mm-hmm. any like I win the game type cards. Mm-hmm. And this is a format where you kind of need those, you know. Yeah, I mean. Or, or you need some sort of synergistic plan that's just so powerful, like when it comes together, that you're going to win games based upon it. This was just kind of like a decent red green deck with a uh, with a fine curve, and that's it. Like I should also admit that like the removal I had was not very good. Um, I had double thunderbolt, pillar of flame, guys of fire, and that was it. Yeah. From what so, it looks like, I mean, I'm looking at your deck right now for the first time. But it it looks like if you could have been more on the more aggressive side of things, like less of the six five drops and more of the two three drops, or it, yep. it would have been a good deck. But uh, and that's what I was trying to do. Right. I wanted kind of like the top end of my deck to be the Hound of Grizzlebrand and the U Spirit that are in there. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you can see it in some of the cards I drafted. Like I have a Vigilante Justice in here. Right. I have a Thatcher Revolt. I have an Angel's Tomb all main deck. Mm-hmm. Like, so I kind of got caught between an aggro deck and also between like the the green red fatty deck with Triumph of Ferocity, uh, Wildwood Geist, Pathbreaker Worm. You know, a couple and I paid devils f- at the top there too. Yeah, I paid for it. Yeah, I, that, my deck was not very good. It after the draft, like I felt. Like, I was definitely capable of getting... Like, I expected to win at least one match with this deck because, like, just based upon the general solidness of it, but I did not expect to, like, 3-0 by any means. Um, I thought maybe if I was lucky I could win two matches with it. And as it turns out, I went 1-2. Talked to Ryan a little bit after the first round I played with it. Like, I showed him the deck. Uh, strangely enough, he was the one who sat across from me when we had to register our pools, mm-hmm. which was kind of funny. But he he was not a fan of the Angel's Tomb in the main deck, and I think he's correct. I was a, I had my blinders on for like the the aggro, aggro yeah, and, totally. And I didn't have all that many creatures. Like I'm like I said, I was playing Vigilante Justice and Triumph of Ferocity. Like there's two like enchantments right there that do nothing to trigger an Angel's Tomb exactly, or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, like I feel like I needed the Triumph of Ferocity because the deck was so like mediocre. I. I felt like i was probably going to need to grind people out with like the incremental card advantage of mm-hmm. the triumph mm-hmm. which i did like one game but yeah the deck was not very focused and yeah i went one two with it i was still in contention for like top 64 or top 32 even i think and so i kept playing i mean there's really no reason to drop on day two if you're at all not. close at all close to like finishing in the money which like top 64 people get paid at a grand prix uh, not only that, but drafting is fucking sweet. Yeah, drafting is awesome, and everyone wants to draft more, especially me. Yep. So I went into the second draft with the same plan. Like, stay open, take what's coming, and don't be afraid of black. I should mention, like, in that first draft, when I, I talked about how I first picked the the Blood Artist and, like, kind of wanted to get into black almost. Like, in pack two, black was flowing. Like, I saw two Barter and Bloods, I saw... Uh, yeah, just all sorts of really good stuff. I think I saw an Evernight Shade that ended up hate drafting like really late in the pack, and all of that was just like, okay, like I couldn't really get into black because I had already at that point committed myself to red green in pack one, and like at, at, after pack one, I felt like I had a pretty good red green deck going, mm-hmm. and then when I opened up the Hound, I was like, okay, this is great, like right on plan, like I'm going to be the red green aggro deck, this will be great, and it just didn't come together. Sure, but anyway, draft number two started off with. A, an Into the Void over a couple other like decent cards, but nothing like nothing that I feel is better than Into the Void, especially considering like how splashable that card is. Mm-hmm. I took some green cards at first, like a Timberland Guide and something else, because uh, blue-green is like the best deck in the format if you can get it. And I figured, you know what, maybe everyone else will be afraid to get into blue-green, and so it'll be, like, if everybody thinks it's overdrafted, then it won't be overdrafted, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I tried to get into that, and then, like, I got past a Deathwind with a green card and a blue card, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to jump on the Deathwind just yet, so I passed that. And then, like, I see another Deathwind, and I'm like, you know what? 
screw it, I'm going to get into black. I end up, like, in this pretty spicy blue-black deck, or black-blue deck, I guess. It's a little heavier black. Like, Triple Deathwind, uh, Evernight Shade, Double Butcher Ghoul, Double Ghoul Flesh, Double Mist Raven, Barter and Blood, Into the Void, Amass the Components, like... A lot of, like, really kind of quality, grindy cards. Like, it's a very controlling deck. I had a lot of, like, decent black and blue cards still in the sideboard, even. Like, I had a Driver of the Dead, a Crypt Creeper, um, a Haunted Guardian, which I actually felt like would have been good for, like, the control plan in general. What but card is that? It's the 2-1 First Strike Defender artifact. Okay. Artifact creature. Um, it looks... I mean, I... I don't know, obviously, I'm looking at this for the first time, but uh, it it looks to me like maybe you wanted to play another two drop pretty badly in this deck. It looks like you're doing nothing for a long time. That was kind of my plan, to be honest with you, and I'm not sure if it's correct. Like Russell said the same thing when he looked at the deck. He said I should have played the Crypt Creeper That's over what I was looking at, yeah. over the second copy of Cool Flesh. Okay, I, I probably would have cut something else, but. So what would you have cut? The second Ghostly I don't, Flicker? I don't, I'm not even playing, so I don't even know what some of these cards are. What is well, ask, Renegade Demon? That's the 5-3 five, for 5. Yeah, I might cut that. Okay. I mean, I think that's a fair criticism. My thinking with this deck was that I really wanted to maximize the, uh, the power of Barter and Blood. Mm-hmm. And I had enough like ways to like kind of control the early game between double ghoul flesh, double butcher ghoul, and the bounce that I had, double mist raven, into the void, um, three death winds. Like, I wasn't really planning on needing two drops sure. other than the butcher ghouls. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, fe- I felt like a two-one crypt creeper. Like, my last my last cut was between uh, the ghoul flesh or the crypt creeper. Mm-hmm. Russell's argument was that I should have played the Crypt Creeper because at the very least it allows you to get in for some damage or to trade with something early in the game. Sure. Um, and the damage, like the the ability to attack and block, like, yes, I get that. I, I'm down. But I've also played black decks in this format where if you play a Crypt Creeper on turn two, it's basically not going to do anything until you barter in blood, and then you're just going to lose it anyway. And so I, fi- I figured the second copy of Ghoul Flesh was better in the sense that instead of trying to trade with a Crypt Creeper in the early game, which often, like, your opponent won't do, you know? Like, he either won't let you... Just won't attack you. Yeah, he won't attack you, or he won't block when you attack him or her. Totally. You know? I so, mean, but that's kind of the point. I, that would be my point, is that you would lay the Creeper and you could just sit on it. Like, you don't have to play a second creature. Right. Well, my thought process was, instead of just trying to, like, attempting to trade off early drops, was to play the second Ghoul Flesh and just try to kill my opponent's early drops so that when he started getting up to three, four, five mana and playing those cards, the Barter and Blood was that much more of a just punch in the face, you know? Sure. Just like, oh, man, he Deathwinded and Ghoul Fleshed all of my early drops, and then I played, like a Nettle Swine, and a U-Spirit, and he just like barter and blooded sure. me right then, or Into the Voided me right then. But Into the Void is not very sexy when you're not attacking after the Void. No, but it, I mean, yeah, I mean, I kind of based my early drops around the barter and blood a lot, though, and that's ultimately what I'm trying to get at, and I, fi- I figured I'd rather just have more removal to make the barter and blood a little more backbreaking. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if this is correct or not. Like, I, I honestly cannot say, like, if that's something I should have done. Like, it's possible I should have had the two drop. It's possible I should have had both two drops in there and cut a Ghoul Flesh and the Renegade Demon. Sure. But my plan was to play for the long game and to just let double Mist Raven, double Ghostly Flicker, and just kind of abuse those cards, like Barter and Blood and the, and the Shade. Like, I wanted the Shade and the Mallfield Twins and the Mist Ravens to get me there, you know? Yeah. Um, this deck felt a lot better to me. Like, I was a lot more confident going into each of my games that I was going to be able to, like, win my matches. Uh, I won my first match against a player named Matthias. He admittedly got a little mana screwed. Like, he w- he kept some two-landers and, like, never drew his third lands, or when he did, it was, like, way too late. And that's, like, the one thing you can't do against my deck here is is 
stumble and like fall behind because if I get up to four mana, five mana, like it's pretty much over, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so I beat him, and then I played against a guy named Henry, and Henry's deck was a very good, a very good like blue green kind of tempo-y deck with a lot of fatties. Like, uh, he was playing the Flowering Lumbernaut and a ton of uh, Soulbond guys, and I was losing game one. I eventually, like, punted it. Like, on a in a game I was probably going to lose already, but it was still a mistake. Like, he had the Lumbernaut... No, he had Deadeye Navigator pa- paired with uh, the 6-4 Trample Soulbond guy. Mm-hmm. And... He like, I knew that I had to block with my entire team to survive the attack, and it was the four five, the Havengul Scob, uh, Latch Seeker, and one other, one toughness guy I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like I I knew that I had to triple block, or not triple block, but block with all three, and I just blocked in the wrong way. Like so, I blocked so that one of my creatures would survive, forgetting that. I was going to... I had to not block like that, otherwise I was going to die to trample damage. And so I died to exactly five points of trample damage. So that was just like a colossal mistake on my point. But uh, Russell was standing behind Henry as he was playing, and he said that he had like a ton of gas in his hand. Like, I wasn't going to win anyway. Um, But I beat him in game two, uh, and game three was a very, very good game of Magic. We almost went to time. It was very close. And I had like probably three to five turns in which I could have drawn like any array of like Deathwind or Miss Raven, just a or ghostly flicker, like a lot of crippling chill, like a lot of different cards I could have drawn and never did. And he was drawing very well. Again, like a, Russell kind of told me what he was doing after the fact, like I had more mana than him. And so I was able to kind of keep the pressure on like, while he was casting like one fatty a turn, but then he started ripping like two small guys. And so he could like, he, he, he barely got there against me. It was a very close game. Uh, so I lost round 14 to him. And then in 15, I got paired against Jeff Cunningham, who had a very good, like, green, red, blue deck. Um, and he's he's a very good player, too. So I lost to him in pretty quick fashion, actually. Like, the, we were both playing pretty fast. I think we both just kind of wanted to get to the end of the tournament and see if we made top 64. Did he make it? I think he did because he beat me. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. You were pretty close. Yeah, uh, so I finished overall through 15 rounds at 10 and 5. I won 2 both my drafts, which kind of sucked. Like, I felt like that second draft deck was definitely good for, like, a 2-1. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I played terribly with it, uh, aside from that one punt against Henry. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that so that was kind of disappointing. But at the same time, like, I was still... I still had enough points to, like, potentially get in the top 64 and, and make some cash. Uh, I finished in 73rd. Um, ah. Yeah. So just lost out on tiebreakers, but it's the best finish I've ever had at a GP, so I'm stoked on that. Like, I'm really excited about GP San Diego. Uh, I know that that's going to be a lot different, like, different limited format, different, like, game format with teams. Mm-hmm. But kind of reinvigorated my, my magic spirit, you know? Like, I, f- I feel really good right now about, like, how I played in general, like I only made a few major mistakes while I was playing. Right. Uh, that one block being one of them, and another one being when I drew a banishing stroke for my turn and pointed it at the the wrong thing. My opponent had a creature out and a homicidal seclusion, and I just went too quickly to my default with banishing stroke, and this I creature. Kinda, yeah, I kind of forgot that it can also hit artifacts and enchantments. Yeah. And, like, I could have... If I would have banishing stroke the homicidal... So, technical difficulties there, listeners. Uh, you might notice the sound quality of my voice has greatly improved as I'm no longer being recorded through Skype. I am now just recording straight to my desktop. Uh, we lost the Skype call due to my internet connection, which... If you are a long-time listener, you know is a little spotty. Anyway, we were talking about the GP and kind of how my overall kind of feeling from the weekend. And uh, I'm very excited on, like, going forward how I did. Like, I'm disappointed I didn't finish inside the money there uh, or win either of my last two rounds with that blue-black uh, control deck I drafted. But 
at the same time, I feel like I played fairly well over the course of the day. I only made two like very bad mistakes that I can remember. One being the bad block against Henry uh, with the trample creatures, and the other being missing the fact that Banishing Stroke can target artifacts and enchantments. Like I should have popped that homicidal seclusion right to the bottom of this deck and oh god, like an idiot, I just defaulted to pointing it at the only creature he had on the board. Um that game ended up being very close and I did win, but man, I would have really had no trouble at all if it if he hadn't had that homicidal seclusion uh at the beginning of the game. Anyway, uh that's just about gonna do it for us. I'm going to have Ryan on the podcast this week and record another episode very soon to talk to him about his experiences at the GP and kind of talk about the format and maybe do a couple segments or talk about Team Sealed for San Jose because we will be teammates for that. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled, your ears to the ground for that podcast coming up later. With that said, I want to wrap it up. You can email us at eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com. You can check out our website, which I've mentioned before, eastwestdraftcast.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. Jeff's Twitter handle is at JeffEWDC, and he spells his name J-E-F-F. My Twitter handle is at EWDraftCast. And as always, you can search us up on Facebook. Give us a like there. We'd appreciate it. So that about does it. Thanks for listening, everybody. And in the words of Jeff McDonald, DraftCast out. Out.